The following is a sermon that was preached at Faith Lutheran Church in Sharpsburg, Georgia. For more information about our church or to hear past sermons from Faith Lutheran, visit georgiafaith.com. Thank you for listening. He was the king, the man after God's own heart, and his story was the stuff of legends. In his youth, he killed a lion, a bear, and a giant, all the while protecting those who were put under his care. As an adult, he marched off to battle, spurred on to victory by the songs of the adoring masses. Saul has killed his thousands, and David his tens of thousands. As a king, he conquered foreign armies and captured cities, ushering in a time of prosperity that the nation of Israel had never seen. King David was successful in every battle he ever fought, except for one. And the scars of his greatest defeat would not only affect him, but also his family and the nation he had served so well. In the spring, when kings go off to war, David lost his first battle, his battle with sin. He became a victim of what the Apostle James describes as sin's life cycle. And it goes like this. It was just a peach. He knew who lived next door. He knew that the daughter and the wife of two of his 30 mightiest men was home alone because her husband was out fighting David's battles. He knew what she'd be doing on the roof. It was just a peach. He wasn't hurting anybody. And after all, a king has the right to look out over his kingdom. He could stop whenever he wanted to. But he didn't. Sin is an unassuming enemy. It likes to look weak, almost feeble and helpless. It presents itself as something conquerable and controllable that offers a thrill where the risk is worth the reward. But even the man after God's own heart soon found out that no one, not even God's anointed king, can mess with sin and escape unscathed. There's a lot to, there's a lot to peek at nowadays, isn't there? A lot for wandering eyes to see. After all, sex sells. It's everywhere, and even we, people after God's own heart, cannot mess with sin and escape unscathed. Maybe for you it's wandering eyes, eyes that go where they know that they shouldn't go. Or maybe your mind is prone to a thought that pops up whenever you look at your spouse that says, I could do better. Or maybe it's your heart that's prone to loneliness that doesn't really care whether you're married or not. Or maybe it's that churning feeling you have in your stomach, that, that gnawing sensation when you look at someone or you think about someone and you want them so bad, but you just can't have them. In reaction to those thoughts and those feelings, the conscience's first reaction is often shame. 
no, I would, I would never do anything. I would never act on those feelings. But leave desire alone long enough, and soon the conscience will be dulled, habits will be formed, and, and the shame will disappear. And those thoughts and those feelings will soon manifest themselves in our words and our actions. King David peaked and peaked some more until he couldn't help himself but send his messengers out to summon Bathsheba, his friend's wife, so that he could sleep with her. In a similar way, wandering eyes train brains to look at people as objects instead of people. The thoughts of, I can find somebody better, lead to relationships that couldn't get much worse. And the unchecked infatuations and desires and feelings often lead to being in the wrong place at the wrong time, about to do something you swore you would never, ever do. And by the time sin is full grown, it's too late. Relationships go farther than they should, marriages fall apart, and there is sex where God says there shouldn't be. The only thing that interrupts sin's life cycle is God's word. The messengers brought it to David at first. When David told them to go summon Bathsheba, they said, but isn't this Uriah's wife? You know that she's married. You know what God says about marriage. But when they couldn't stop him, God sent a prophet, and his name was Nathan, and he brought to David God's word, calling him back to repentance. In a similar way, God sends his word to us today in our readings, and he calls us to repentance for sexual sins. He says that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has committed adultery with her in his heart. He warns about initiating divorce and its consequences. He speaks about dating in a holy and honorable way, not living in lusts, taking advantage of each other, but being honorable to each other, looking out for not only our bodies, but theirs. But how easy it is, how easy it is for our eyes to wander, how easy it is to long to have sex with someone who is not our spouse, how easy it is to treat dating like marriage. And how easy it is to find and see someone better than the spouse that we already have. If you look back at God's word, if you look through the Bible, it won't take you long to notice that we are not the first Christians to struggle with sexuality. The Israelites struggle with it. Jesus' listeners struggle with it. Even the early New Testament Christians struggle with it. And time and time again, God sent his messengers to these people. And there's a reason for that, because he knows how difficult the battle is. He knows our tendencies and Satan's tactics. But even in the midst of his condemnation of extramarital sexual relations, we can see God's grace. Through the working of the Holy Spirit in our hearts, in reaction to sin, we can say, I have sinned against the Lord. 
And with David, we can hear, the Lord has taken away your sin. And because of the Holy Spirit and faith, we can believe that he means it. Any sexual sin you have committed in the past or any sin that you'll commit in the future does not define you. Repent. Leave it behind. Cast it away, and God promises he'll take it far away. As far as the east is from the west, when God looks at you, he does not see a luster or an adulterer or a divorcer or a watcher of pornography. When he looks at you, he sees his holy child, forgiven and free, who have been given a new name and a pure heart. And with this new name and this pure heart, we can do something about sin's life cycle. We can put ourselves in better situations to avoid temptation. We can help each other. We can hold each other accountable as we struggle with these temptations together. And we can live chaste lives, whether we are single or dating or married. As holy children of God, forgiven and free by the blood of Jesus, this is one way that we can show love for one another, not only honoring our bodies, but also honoring each other's. But when sin comes back around, and make no mistake, it will, and the battle gets tough, remember this, sin never delivers on its promises. Sin makes promises, all right, big promises. Promises like, if you sleep with this person who's not your spouse, that loneliness will go away. Or if you tear someone else's reputation down, yours will be lifted up. Or if you tell this lie, it'll make your situation easier and you'll get out of it faster. The problem is, is those promises are empty. If you sleep with someone who's not your spouse, that loneliness will not go away. It will just make it worse. You tear somebody else's reputation down, yours isn't going to be lifted up. You're just going to be left with guilt. And lie leads to lie leads to lie in a never-ending cycle. Every sin, whether big or small, has consequences. They affect the sinner, the victim, and the community always. Think of King David. The consequences of his sin followed him the rest of his life. He lost children because of it. He was kicked out of his kingdom because of it. He was never the king that he once was because of one sinful act. And it's true. Sin's promises look more fun, look more exciting, look more promising. And God's promises, they look restricting and burdensome. But sin's promises lead to death. And God's promises lead to blessing. For instance, God doesn't give us the institution of marriage to restrict us from freely expressing our sexuality. Instead, God gives us marriage for blessing so that husband and wife can find in each other unconditional love and support and companionship and a foundation for a good home for children. God even feels so strongly about marriage and so positively about marriage that he uses it as a picture to describe the relationship between Jesus and his church. God doesn't give us any of the commandments to reign on our parade. God gives us the commandments to teach us how to love 
to not only how to love him, but also to love one another. And if love wasn't enough, he also connects blessings to each one of those commandments. But those blessings are only possible because of God's greatest blessing, his greatest promise, salvation in Jesus. In Jesus, we are free, free to say no to sin and yes to God's will. Because where sin never keeps its promises, God always keeps his promises and more. He was the king, the man after God's own heart. And his story was the stuff of legends. And though he had conquered the lion, the bear, the giant, and many armies, he couldn't conquer his sin. But that wasn't the end of his story. Though he peeped and peeped some more, though he lusted and committed adultery, though he abandoned God, God did not abandon him. God called him to repentance. He forgave him, and he loved him. And God does the same for us, too. God will not abandon us because of our sin. He calls out to you today and says, Repent. Leave your sins behind. He calls out to you today with words of forgiveness, your sins are forgiven. And he calls out to you today to live as the holy child of God that he has made you to be, to live that holy life. And all this he does only because he loves you. Amen.